Hey everybody and welcome to Comics and Cinema. I'm your host Alex Klein and as our title suggests we have a very spooky episode for you guys today. Uh, I am currently in the midst of spooky season with my family uh, and have been watching a ton of Halloween movies already. Specifically one very special presentation of a Halloween movie that uh, Marvel put out last week that absolutely blew me away and I cannot wait to talk about it along with all of these scary movies that I've been watching. So before we do that though, uh, there was some pretty eh, decent enough, big enough news uh, out of Marvel today that I think warrants a little bit of discussion. Uh, they adjusted some of their release dates. So uh, for those of you not familiar, we did have an episode a while back where our good friend of the show, Kevin and I broke down all of the D23 announcements uh, and part of that, we created, uh, I threw together an Excel spreadsheet of all of the movies and TV shows coming out. Uh, and you can hear about that whole thing. If you watch the YouTube version, you can actually see it. I did share my screen. But we're going to need to adjust some of those dates because it seems like some things uh, are not going according to plan uh, with Marvel. And guess what? That's okay. Because that is how movie studios work. That is how every business in America works. Sometimes Things just don't pan out the way that you want them to. And you've got to adapt. You've got to pivot. And some movie studios, uh, and I can't think of anything off the top of my head. My closest guess maybe would be the 2015 Fantastic Four, uh, which if you guys famously remember, the uh, the director tweeted out, I believe, the day the movie came out saying, like, this is not the movie that I wanted. There's a lot of work that needed to be done on this. And I feel like I screwed up. He got in big trouble for saying so. But the studio put the movie out anyway. And, you know, there's deadlines. They have to do that. But when you're a studio like Marvel and many of these other big studios that are putting out release dates so far in advance, uh, to me, personally, it is a wonder that they're able to continuously make good on these promises. Think about it. When it comes to even just the Infinity Saga, they put out every single movie that they announced, except for the Eternals. Or, I'm sorry, not the Eternals, the Inhumans. Uh, that one was announced at one of the Comic-Cons and then was quickly pulled off the schedule once uh, Marvel had the reins back from the, we'll call them the Cabal. Uh, the uh, the old house of Marvel with Ike Perlmutter. Uh, but since then, a lot of the other films, barring the pandemic, of course, that made a lot of the movies shift, have stayed on schedule. And you can see from certain things, uh, and not a good or bad thing, again, you know, some of these movies I absolutely love, uh, like Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, uh, I will not argue with anyone that says that movie might have been a little bit rushed. And I think the same thing. Uh, of Thor Love and Thunder only because both of those movies were very short uh, and during the special features if you watch the uh, audio commentaries as well uh, there's a lot of talk about the pandemic messed with a lot of that stuff where they had to switch up scripts they had to change x y and z and they still put out the content eventually and uh, it was still really good in my opinion but obviously there's some nitpicks that you can have and some of them stem from feeling rushed to put this out. And I think you can also tell, too, from Hollywood sharing about the visual effects houses and how a lot of these visual effects artists are being pushed to the absolute brink. They are struggling to make deadlines. They're having to revise work. Marvel is asking them to revise work at the last minute, which is just absolutely insane. I believe we talked about that on a prior episode as well. Um, all of that to say that when a studio, for an instance like this, when a studio is pushing back a movie, 
Uh, to me, I, I think that deserves a tip of the hat because uh, a lot of studios get nervous about that. Oh, what what are people going to say? And you can look to that in specifically the video game industry, right? Think of something like Cyberpunk. Uh, there's other games as well where they just tout, oh, we've got this big game coming, right? We're going to share this trailer at uh, the next uh, I was going to say E23, but I, I think it's uh, the, like the EA convention, the, the video game conventions that are out there. They'll display a trailer. All oh, this movie's come. This game is coming in a year. Get ready. Put your pre-orders in now. And then you see the delays. They're going to delay it. And they always have the exact same thing that they say when they're delaying the video games, which is some form or fashion of we're doing this because we need more time to make sure that this game is the best game for our fans. And think of these movies as doing the same thing. I imagine Marvel would probably say the same thing. We need more time to assess, reevaluate these films, and make sure they are the best that they can be for our fans. Uh, and as you notice, if you follow video games, a lot of those movies come or those games come out, and they're filled with bugs, especially multi. Look at Overwatch Two right now. Uh, you know, my brother's been trying to play that game for days and has not been able to get into a lobby because of all of the maintenance issues going on. To me, I'm a little old fashioned. Back in my day, when a video game came out, it was ready to be played and it didn't have any issues. And now we're in this this stage of perpetual uh, marketing is almost what I would call it. Video games do this. Movies do this. Comic books do this. Uh, music maybe kind of does this. Uh, welcome, Brian. I see Brian just jumped in the chat. Also, see late night alum stop by. Welcome. Um, uh, and they, they just tease things out, right? There's just this infinite amount of marketing that goes on with anything, right? Think of it again, video games. Think about it with movies. Think about it with any Disney property, right? I already got spoiled for what's going to happen in this final She-Hulk episode because I saw a headline from ComingSoon.net saying that the teaser that they share teases two characters that are in it. Uh, I don't think it's any spoilers. We guessed them. I'm not going to talk about them here. But again, Marvel ruins a lot of their surprise. Disney ruins a lot of the surprises in Marvel properties by marketing the heck out of these things. And whether it's for a movie, video game, doesn't matter. To me, it feels like in this day and age, we're more focused on that marketing. It's more about getting hyped for opening weekend. And we're all to blame for that. I'm to blame for it as well. My favorite day to go see a movie is opening day. Uh, but then afterwards, it's like, okay, you got to make sure your movie has legs, though. You can't just get all of your money from opening weekend. Look at Top Gun. The movie is still making money, and it has been months since that movie came out. Uh, was there marketing for it? Sure, there was a little bit, but guess what really sold that movie? Word of mouth. People going to see it and saying, holy cow, this is a really good movie. I got to go tell some people about it. I got to go see it again. Uh, it is not because of the 100 different five-second ads that get put on YouTube spoiling that X, Y, and Z happens in Top Gun. That didn't happen. So when Marvel said, uh, and this was a couple weeks ago, that the director of Blade um, is no longer going to be the director of Blade, there was a lot of questions. Okay, what's going to happen next? What's going on? Uh, and today they announced that they are going to be pushing back the release date of Blade. And again, when you think about this environment that we have currently when it comes to marketing and clickbait, right? That's the same exact vein as marketing is every single news outlet trying to break the next story or turn some headline into attention grabbing headlines um, so that people click on those things. And I want to show you a great example of that. I, I'm not going to reveal who you probably guess I saw this on multiple sites because I use Google. I get I get my news from Google, guys. 
Uh, I try to stay as unbiased as possible. I just go to google.news and it gives me all my favorite headlines from everything. So I saw multiple headlines about this Blade news. And some websites were saying Marvel delays their movies. And then others were saying Marvel shifts their movies. And look at the difference that one word makes. Which one of those things sounds a lot more serious and might make you click on the site, right? Marvel's delaying. There are delays. The studio is in peril, guys. Guys, I think Marvel fell off. I think, honestly, it's since the beginning of Phase 4, Marvel has just, this is not good. We're getting terrible content. Marvel, it's over and done, guys. No, it's insane to me that, like, any, again, I feel like anyone will do whatever they can to not just get that clickbait, but to strike down these titans. And <laughs> if my brother listens to this, we've been having a really long argument the last few days about Marvel, specifically about Werewolf by Night. Uh, and this is part of it, right? There are just people, I'm not going to call him one of them, but there are people right now currently trying to tear down Marvel in the same way that they're trying to tear down a lot of other things that people are just trying to show in terms of diversity and inclusion. Uh, I don't remember what this was on. This might have been a, a tweet or something. I'm sure you guys can find this video out there. But there was a uh, some guy who did an analysis on all of the Marvel movies along with the critical reception and the box or the uh, audience reception. And it found that all of the phase four movies that had some form of diversity in it were all audience panned on these sites. Whereas the critics all said they were fine and they all did really well at the box officers. There's just this concerted effort to try and knock down any way that we can anything Marvel related. And so this is the big one, right? With Blade. Oh no, Blade's a failure. Uh, they're going to have to go back to the drawing board. I bet Mahershala Ali is insanely pissed. Uh, guys, we don't know what's going on over there. We don't know what is going on in the day-to-day -day of Marvel and the day-to-day -day of Kevin Feige. Uh, I could only hope and pray one day that I can find out. But for right now, for you guys all out there listening to this, all you need to know is that they have shifted their movie dates back. And honestly, I think that this is a really good thing. And I'll tell you why. For a couple of reasons. One, how many of you out there have been complaining that there's been too much content from Marvel recently? I can say I maybe have fallen in that category as well, specifically with, uh, what was it, uh, Thor, Love and Thunder, and Miss Marvel, when those came out at the same time. I was obsessed with Miss Marvel, and I felt like Thor kind of took away things from Miss Marvel because I had to focus my energies on different things. Uh, and I'm sure many of you out there have similar stories, but that's one, right? Now all of these have been pushed back just a little bit, so we've got some time. You've got some time to sit on this. But then the second piece of this, with I, I've shared a, with a couple of people, is there's just so many instances in our lives. And I feel like for me specifically too, like I love shopping. I, I and right now <laughs> it today has been like the worst day for shopping. Uh, Amazon is having their prime sale right now. Criterion has their 50% off flash sale right now. And in all these instances, right, there's movies I've been saving in my watch list or my wish list. There's things that I've been dying to buy the minute that they go 50% off. But then the minute I get that movie, I'm like, well, Okay, I got it, right? The excitement is over. I feel like in a lot of things, and specifically like this with movies, part of the excitement is that anticipation. It's about that journey. Think of a It's literally the definition of a dog chasing a car, right? They have so much fun doing it, but what happens when they finally catch it? And it's the same thing with this, right? The movie's going to eventually come out. It's not that it's not coming out. It will. But we have more time now to be excited because once it comes out, it's never coming out again. You're never going to get to watch that movie again for the first time. So this, all of these movie dates I'm about to share with you, 
think of it as giving you a little extra time to get excited, to get amped about these films. Uh, Brian shares here, what, in your opinion, does Disney Plus have that has the best wor word of mouth? Probably Mando, right? That's what he says. Um, you know, honestly, I, I think I might agree with you on Mando uh, because that one and that's kind of was like the flagship series, too. So when you think about that from like a Disney Plus perspective, that uh, part of their marketing was word of mouth. Right. I mean, half of us were found out about Disney Plus from other people. And one of the big things they marketed at the beginning was Mandalorian. So, oh, you know, go get Disney Plus. It's got this cool new Star Wars show. So, yeah, I'd agree. I think it might be that I'd have to sit and think a little longer. But to me, yeah, I'd in terms of maybe one of the other Marvel shows now, but at the beginning, yeah, I'd definitely say Mando. Uh, and also another comment here, any validity to clearing out summer 2024 for Spider-Man 4? That is a great question. Let's dive in. So I am going to, once again, let's see if I can do this. Uh, I'm going to share my screen. Uh, yes, present slides. No, share screen. Boom, boom. If you guys can see this, I feel like I'm at work. Uh, let me zoom in a little more so uh, and everyone can kind of get a good look at this. So let's dive in. Let's dive into this movie calendar again. Um, so as you guys can tell, this is going to be a chunky episode because uh, we got a lot of stuff to go over. So here we are uh, right here at this 11-3 date. I've marked it. I've highlighted it. Here's what we need to know. That's Blade. Blade was supposed to come out next November but it is no longer going to be doing that. It is moving into September 6th, which was the date of Deadpool 3. So Deadpool 3 is now moving to the following, or it's only moving two months, really, but it's moving to November 8th, which was the home of Fantastic Four. So Fantastic Four is now moving from November to February. That was originally the date we kind of all predicted as being when Deadpool was going to come out. So it's actually kind of a treat. It may have been a, actually a separate February. But from there, that untitled movie that was supposed to come out in February now comes out in November of 2025. And that date was held by Secret Wars, which is now being pushed to May 1st of 2026. So for those of you that were saying, I cannot believe that Marvel is, Marvel is putting out two Avengers movies in a year. Well, you're right. They're not. So you're good there. Uh, but let's take a look at this. So uh, Blade is now moving to this 9-6-2024 date. So there is still a 2-16-2024 date if Marvel were to choose to use it. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's been confirmed or not, whether they're removing that or removing this one from the calendar either, right? They've still got a November date. So are they going to put something else out there? My guess is probably, actually, it's not a guess, confirmed. That is probably not happening because Dune Part 2 just adjusted their movie date. Uh, that movie was supposed to come out mid-November, and they've actually moved into this spot. So they almost are just saying, we're not, we're doing it. <laughs> we don't care. Marvel is probably not going to release something at the same time as Dune. That seems kind of silly. And that's okay, right? They don't need to put out four movies a year, every single year, as much as I'd love them to. Um, we got to have sometimes absence makes the heart grow fonder. So we still have this question of what's going to be here. But now 2024 has Captain America coming out in May, Thunderbolts coming out in July, and Blade coming out in September. What a summer. That is literally, well, yeah, no, technically not three movies in summer, but we call May summer. It technically isn't. Uh, but that's a lot in three kind of little spans. That's basically two quarters worth of movies. And then Deadpool 3 is coming out in Thanksgiving. So 
Um, hold your receipts on that one for some sort of Thanksgiving vibe that Deadpool is going to give off. Uh, we also need to look into maybe uh, uh, Deadpool making fun of Blade having to move its dates and cause it to move. Like, ah, I was in the perfect spot. I can't believe you made me move. Uh, if it still stays true to my Deadpool killing the Marvel Universe, maybe Deadpool kills Blade in that movie too to get uh, get his revenge. Uh, so from there, the Fantastic Four movie again moved from November to February. So uh, this is now your Valentine's Day movie, which I think is sort of perfect for this. If they're going to lean into like a Sue and Reed uh, romance and maybe romances for them, I, I have no idea. Again, there you go. Avengers King Dynasty still staying in place at May 5th of 2025 with we have an untitled again. Remember, from those of you who maybe didn't tune in last time, those of you listening, um, I guess you wouldn't be able to tell because you can't see. But uh, all of the bolded ones are predictions. These are not confirmed. All of the bolded ones were my guesses of what is there. So we still have an unconfirmed release for, for G July 25th of 2025. This is the new vacated untitled movie that moved from February to here. And I adjusted it because Eternals 2 is what I had in this Fantastic Four block. This makes a lot of sense since the first uh, Eternals movie came out in November. So there's a good possibility it could be that. Again, how good is that possibility? As good as you trust me in being right. Uh, which I'm not frequently right if you look at my Pick'em League for football. Actually, I'm really, I've am really i been doing a really good job. I just had a really bad week last week. So from there, there are still untitled release dates on 2026, which are this one, another February release, which I put in as Black Panther 3, unknown if that's what it's going to be. But we do have confirmation, Avengers Secret Wars coming out May 1st, 2026, with two more empty spots for July and November. My bet was on Shang-Chi 2, possibly Eternals, if this is not the day. This was my original Eternals, I think, prediction. Um, but either way, that's where we're at right now. So um, just put a title on Shang-Chi 2, will ya? Uh, I completely agree. I don't know what we're going to call it. Maybe uh, they'll go after it. Well, no, they already said Legend of the Ten Rings. I was going to say they could, man. I hope they don't do much with the Ten. They're going to have to do Ten Rings, I guess. It doesn't matter what I think. So uh, I'll stop sharing my screen now. But that is the new kind of Marvel news uh, that's come out. Just some release date shifts. So not a big deal. Uh, and again, Brian, to your comment of any validity of clearing out summer 2024, for Spider-Man, there is a good possibility, but at the same time, we have not cleared out summer of 2024 because we've got three movies coming out then. Plus, you've got Spider-Man freshman year supposedly coming that fall. So it makes sense if they were to put another Spider-Man movie out then. I'd, I'd believe it. I know it's coming soon. I wonder maybe if it would even come on the uh, November 3rd, 2023 date or on that February 16th date of 2024 because... They've been doing every two years, and if that other one came out in 2021, 2023 seems like it might right be there. But we will find out. Uh, so moving on from that, we are diving right into Werewolf by Night, and boy, am I excited to talk about this movie. So um, short, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. This was exactly what I wanted. It is exactly what I expected. And sometimes I know you kind of feel frustrated when you're like, well, you know, I expected all of this stuff, and... You know, it all happened, and that's kind of disappointing in a sense, right? There were no surprises. There were some surprises in here, but in this case, my expectations were uh, kind of weird in that sense. As you guys all know from my prior episodes, I've done on Dracula, Frankenstein, The Mummy, 
Uh, I think I've got one on the creature from the Black Lagoon. If not, I will fix that at some point. That's one of my favorites. But I love uh, the Universal Monster movies. I just love horror movies in general, and especially those old black and whites. I grew up on that sort of stuff. And so when I heard that that was kind of what this was going to be like, and then the trailer came out and it was all in black and white, uh, I was just blown away. And uh, from the minute that it started, you get that marble special, pre special presentation, which is really cool. But then we get the black and white Marvel fanfare opening with uh, courtesy of werewolf claws and that kind of tinny sound that would come from like an old timey radio uh, as a just the music. And if you guys haven't listened to it in detail, check it out on Apple music. I'm sure it's on Spotify. Werewolf by night soundtrack is awesome. There's so many good musical notes and hits. There's some great kind of violin in certain spots. Obviously you've got the trombone uh, that's on fire at another spot, but that's, I, that, to me, a movie gets into that really top tier when you can start calling out multiple things that are great about it. So not only is it as a whole amazing, but the score is incredible. Uh, the camera work, the cinematography is absolutely insane. There's there's an amazing moment where uh, Jack is turning into the werewolf that you're seeing it all from the perspective of Elsa Bloodstone. And uh, you kind of see it in the trailers where she's like holding her ha her hands up like that, which is just uh, everything about it is like callbacks to these old movies. And uh, but you don't ever see him transform. You just see the shadow of him as as uh, uh, Giacchino does this really amazing slow zoom. And he does a couple of those in it. Just a master at work. I did not know that he did directing. And now I'd like to maybe see him do a little bit more directing. Maybe he could be the director for Blade now that they're looking for a director. Honestly, at this point in time, I need to see more of these characters than I need to see Blade. And I'm cool seeing Blade. Put them all in a movie together. Put them in a, in a show together. I don't care. So let's start with, I'll break down a couple of these characters. So Werewolf by Night, Jack Russell. Um... In terms of my comic comics familiarity with him, I knew of him. I was always a fan of him, again, because he's a werewolf. I love all of the old monster comics, uh, but I didn't read a lot of them. And so uh, Marvel actually had as a redemption code uh, the like the first of collection of Werewolf by Night that includes like the first 15 issues or something like that. And some of the Marvel spotlights where he premiered. So I read a bunch of them before the show started. And man, they they just they knocked it out of the park. Uh, you got your basic premise, which is a guy who turns into a werewolf on his 18th birthday. And he has no idea. And the, and the, the comic throws you right in, which I sometimes have a tough time reading those older comics. Did not have a problem reading these comics at all. I was actually really enjoying them. Um, there's some corniness to them, and, and there's some specific moments that I thought were kind of cheesy, and we'll talk about it. But overall, again, I was hooked. I, I thought great premise. It's in the 70s, where they're trying to kind of capitalize on some of these scary things. To me, honestly, I don't know why Marvel's not putting out more comics like this now, more scary comics. Um, back then, I'm sure these were terrifying. Uh, they are not scary today, but they could make some scary ones today for sure, especially with Werewolf by Night. So Jack Russell, why is he a werewolf? Well, in the comics, his father was a werewolf. And so his father's name, uh, I don't have it on me. I don't remember. It's not the same name as him. Um, Jack Russell is his mom's second husband. And so the story goes, as his mom explains, uh, and this is there's a ton of family drama in the first of these, which is actually kind of cool. But his mom basically explains that he met her, his father uh, in I think it was in Romania, and he's some sort of baron. 
and uh, you know, the mysterious guy, blah, 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 blah. He did not tell her that he was a werewolf. I mean, and there's even an, I would argue some equivalency there of saying like, Hey, you know, explain to someone that you have an STD when you're dating them, you should probably tell them that you're a werewolf or that you have some sort of lycanthropy or something. Um, but no, never told him until later they found out after he died when the townspeople kind of killed him. Um, and, and then again, hit the curse of the family is that on the 18th birthday, uh, they turn into a werewolf by night uh, for three days during the full moon. And that was also something that was really, really cool in the comics is uh, the minute they turn in, he, he turns in and transforms into a werewolf. You get to the spot where like one of the next panels, it says first night. And then, and that I really liked that about the comic too, is that there is so much narration in the comics of him talking because as a werewolf, he can't speak. So he has some thought bubbles, but overall it's Jack kind of narrating these stories of how he's recalling what happens. And the narration is really cool. A lot of great wordplay, a lot of uh, great, just syntax, I guess you could say. Um, but one of the pieces again is say first night. And so I was always like, let's get to that third night. What happens on the third night? And so far I've only seen it getting up to the second night where he actually gets captured by this. Uh, <laughs> it's like the uh, Mad Hatter almost uh, from the, what are they called? Not the masters of evil, but the carnival of uh, they're like the carnival people that I think they were in some Spider-Man issues. They're in some daredevil issues, uh, but they capture him to be a uh, like, look at this werewolf in this cage. And so he can't break out of the cage. So he's a werewolf for more than one day, which I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. Um, but overall, like I said, I think the coolest things about him are for those of you that didn't know the dark hold, our famous book that has corrupted Wanda in the MCU, his father had the dark hold. And that is actually the quote unquote first appearance of the Darkhold is in Werewolf by Night. And so the story of that uh, Darkhold, very similar to the other ones, right? It's past hands through the centuries. People die at its touch. It corrupts anyone who looks at it. And it's all a bunch of scrolls. And Jack's father, his real father, bound all of those scrolls into a book. And that is the Darkhold. And so there's like, you know, crazy bad guys who are trying to get a hold of this dark hold and a couple of uh, issues. And there's an amazing shot in this, uh, this first werewolf by night, actually, where he hides the dark hold in a cereal box and, and it actually works, which I was like, Oh, that's actually awesome. He's fighting. He fights this lady. Who's kind of like Medusa who turns him to stone. And uh, interestingly enough, when he reverts back to his human form, the stone does no longer stays. So then he, you know, he's able to break free. But the dark holds in there. There's an issue with the bloodstone. And uh, I did some research on that. Could not find if this is confirmed the first appearance of the bloodstone. But in this one, the bloodstone is a map. And so on the stone, uh, there was like some ancient, you know, evil dude who conquered all these places and had this wealth of treasure and buried it. And then killed all the people who buried it and etched into this stone a map of where you can find the treasure. But in order to do so, you have to spill blood onto the stone to reveal the map. So again, I don't know if they retconned that or changed it for the Bloodstone family. I know that's a little bit different. Um, but it was cool to see the Bloodstone in there too. So there's just so much mystical and supernatural stuff happening in this series. And it lines up with all of the other stuff that was going on at that time. Because you had Werewolf by Night. You had Frankenstein. One of my favorites, which was Tomb of Dracula. Um, and I can't wait to see Dracula in the MCU. If they are putting Werewolf by Night into a special, 
we're going to see Dracula at some point. And my money is that being in Blade because Dracula was a more popular character at the time than Werewolf by Night. They're, you know, they're about the same, but his just the staying power of uh, Dracula is absolutely insane. So I'm going to look here real quick at the comments. You, got, you have to move Thunderbolts if these rumors are true, um, Brian, in reference to these dates. Uh, I'd be interested to see if uh, if they choose to move any of those other dates. I don't. I mean, certainly we're not going to find out for a while because it's not going to be a good look for Marvel if they make more changes right now. So I'm sure maybe sometime next year we'll find a little bit more out about that. Um, and yeah, okay, Brian says, uh, like lemon juice on the Declaration of Independence. Yes, we've got a national treasure call out here. Uh, but yeah, ex- essentially, except a lot more bloodier and spookier. So um, so that part was really cool. And again, was really awesome to see. Very different in the show, right? Um, Jack clearly is not some, and in this case, Jack in the comics is just your basic 18-year-old white dude who in the comic does not look like he's 18. He looks like he's probably in his 20s or 30s. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, regular dude, orange hair, I think. And that's about it. Nothing special to stand out. So I love that they just took the liberty and said, you know what? We're going to make this a different character. They got Gail Garcia Bernal in here. Holy cow. He kills it. You get the face paint on the werewolf guy, or on him and kind of for the werewolf. I love that. And I love that you couldn't really see what the face paint was. You sort of could. Maybe not until the very end when it turns to color. Um, But everything about him added up. I thought it all made sense. He's a really good guy, a very sweet person. And my favorite twist in this, right, is that he's not actually there to get the bloodstone. He's not actually a monster hunter. And part of me was wondering as it started of like, okay, you know, where's man thing coming in? Uh, Because he's going to be in this, right? And it's like, okay. So is Werewolf by Night going to fight Man-Thing? Like, I don't know. That seems pretty crazy, especially when they get to the part of everyone's coming in and Ulysses' bloodstone, Elsa's father, uh, has this wild game that we're all going to play. This just, it felt like an episode of Night Gallery. uh, And that's one of my favorite Halloween shows or spooky shows. Just like I said, this this was a 10 out of 10 for me. And this was the argument that I had with my brother was, he said, how could you give this a 10 out of 10? And I said, uh, and we'll talk as we get into some of these spooky shows, but um, there's another old movie that I really love. Um, Creature from the Black Lagoon is an example, but this other one, Dr. Terror's House of Horrors. It's got Peter Cushing in it, Christopher Lee. Um, and it's this story. It's like an anthology movie. For, it's a British movie of uh, all these people getting their fortunes told. And we get a little bit of a story in the movie of what that fortune is. So each person on this train meets this gruesome fate based on the cards that Dr. Terror is drawing. And it's it's cheesy. It's corny. But I grew up with that movie. I loved it. It sparked so much in me when it comes to scary stuff. And so that movie's a 10 out of 10. If you put, you know, you want to put a little uh, gun to my head and ask me truly, is it a 10 out of 10? No, it's probably not. It's probably more like a 7. But I'm going to give it a 10 because I, I love that movie. I watch it every year. I don't care. Werewolf by Night? is the exact same way. This is going to be something that I'm going to be watching every Halloween, uh, anytime that I'm in the spooky mood, because not only is it spooky, but it's only 50 minutes long. So uh, it's kind of like just watching a fun episode of TV every year, which I I love. I love that. Um, uh, and, and Brian says, is there anything to werewolves always having face paint on? Or did I make that up last night? I did I did watch that piece, Brian. Um, honestly, I don't think so. I, I think you, you mentioned something about ja- your son, Jack, saying that uh, there was some werewolf in some school. It was, what was it, Percy Jackson or something like that? Haven't read those books. Um, I like the idea of as a werewolf, right? You have no control over yourself. 
there's a really good opening in this comic collection that I got, which again, if you guys are Marvel insiders on marvel.com, you can do things, activities to redeem points. Those points can be used to purchase comics that are on there. And they usually have collected editions that, again, this would have probably been, is actually on sale right now for $6.99. So I saved seven bucks doing this, but there was an intro in it. And they're talking about the duality of werewolves and why this, this comic reached the masses in that sense back in the day. Because we all have a little bit of that dog in us, right? We've all got a little bit of that werewolf of that that other side of us that wants to come out, right? That person that we are when no one else is watching, that person we are when we get really upset, right? When things are out of our control and we put on this new persona, right? We get super upset about something. And then afterwards, you're like, why was I acting like this? Why did I say those things? Like, why did I do what I did? That doesn't make sense. That wasn't who I am. That is the gist of being a werewolf is that you have this this moment in time this lapse in judgment where you become to quote master of disguise you become another person and you don't have control over yourself and you're this monster and then you come back and you have to deal with all of that uh, especially if people know that you're the one who's doing it so if i was him and the way that he portrays himself as being really caring seems like he has a little bit of guilt a little bit of maybe regret I would be doing things like that. I'd probably put a little bit of face paint on to honor my ancestors because, again, if that the, the thing that I got from that is that he is from a lineage of people who have been werewolves. So not only is he getting a constant reminder every day that he is going to turn into a werewolf at one point in time, I just like that. I mean, to me, it's the equivalent of getting a tattoo, right, of someone who passed away or just some form of remembrance that you have. So that you don't forget that you're going to have those moments where you turn into a werewolf and you're not alone because that's like one of the tenants I would say from at least the ones I've been reading is this guy is alone. He's got nobody. He doesn't talk to anyone. Closest thing he's got is a sister who where we're at in the comics, he's trying to warn her and help her not become a werewolf because I think she's 16 or something like that. And uh, but it's tough. It's a lonely road when you're an un misunderstood monster like this. And so I, I liked that. I liked the tattoos on his face or at least the face paint on his face. And I liked that that really buff guy from Assassin's Creed Valhalla uh, complimented him on it. And I think there was there was a piece of that, too, that plays out later um, that we'll share as we start talking about man thing, which is the next piece of this. So, uh, again, Jack is not here. Uh, to win the bloodstone, which is what Ulysses is doing, the next person to carry on the bloodstone. We all know who that's going to be. It's her, her, his daughter. That's who carries the bloodstone in the comics, though there's multiple kind of stones in the comics. So I, I just read an Elsa story where she's got one, her dad's got one. There's, you know, there's it's the family jewels, so to speak. Um, but it was, you know, obvious from the get-go. Like, she's going to get it. You get all these other monster hunters in the room from all across the globe, right? You've got... Uh, <laughs> Um, there's a, there's a couple of them. I thought they were cool. They're all throwaway though, right? Like I was waiting for maybe blade to show up or some other character to show up and they didn't. And so I'm like, well, none of these other people are going to last. All that's going to be left is him and Elsa bloodstone. So what happens, right? Is werewolf by night going to fight Elsa bloodstone? That kind of sounds badass, but no, we do not get that very quickly on. We find out that he is not here for the bloodstone. He is here to help out his good buddy, Ted, Ted Salas. Uh, Dr. Ted Salas, who, uh, when experimenting on himself with some version of, uh, you know, a wonky version of the super soldier serum, turns into the man thing. And anyone who knows fear burns at the man thing's touch. That is the famous phrase from the comics, um, if you guys can tell. <laughs> Out of all three of these characters, my favorite 
man thing. It always has been. I, uh, I have a giant omnibus of man thing out back there. I just got some new man thing stuff from uh, earlier versions of man thing too. I've always been fascinated with him in the same way that I, I, I get fascinated by swamp thing, the misunderstood monster in the swamp, but man thing is different because he can't really communicate. He can't talk uh, the way we would usually recognize it. He's also the guardian of the nexus of realities, which is a very, very broad term that has been used in the comics. They've got all kinds of stories. I'll actually show you a really, uh, really cool one that uh, I just picked up on a sale from uh, Midtown Comics called Curse of the Man-Thing that uh, kind of deals with it as well. The Avengers are involved. Spider-Man's involved. The X-Men. And um, he just, it depends on the story. There's certain ones where he's the guardian of the Nexus. There's other ones where he's just a plot device. Uh, but in all of the stories, he's always just this downtrodden character who is completely misunderstood. No one knows how to communicate with him. Everyone is afraid of him, but they at the same time are like, it's kind of like the don't, you know what? He, and he says it, he says it to Elsa when they're, they're in the tomb together. He says, greet him as if it was an old friend. And the reason he said that is because you need to be like casual with this guy. Otherwise, you're going to die. Look at what happens to our Valhalla guy, right? He just gets grabbed and immediately is lit on fire. Because again, he indicated earlier in the episode, he was saying something about, you know, it kind of gets lonely out there. We don't, we don't uh, have a lot of people. You could sense a little bit of trepidation in him. You know he's got some fears. And so, again, it's like just this idea of if the man thing gets his grip on you and you are afraid of something, you've got some darkness in your past or some secret that you're probably going to die. Um, but he has all other kinds of powers. Again, being that nexus being, he can travel to certain places. He can travel long distances. Um, he's usually in the Florida Everglades, but he shows up in a lot of other areas, too. Um, like I said, you know, I could go on for a while about man thing, but I thought that his introduction into the MCU was pitch perfect. I was so happy to see him in this and to see how much we got. So not only do we get, here's what man thing is. We find out that his, you know, you're, you're shown that his name is Ted Salas. Uh, you get extra to see that he actually can destroy people immediately. Um, that he's huge. Yes. Brian says the ultimate Florida man. He really is Florida. Florida man experiments on himself, turns into Nexus being. Um, and he also, uh, what was the other piece of it was that, oh, we get to see him in color. So I loved that at the very end when everything kind of turned to color and sorry, I got something in my eye, but, um, I just thought that was so cool. And for those of you wondering, is man thing going to show up again? He 100% is Marvel has been bragging and bragging. And especially with the show about all of the practical effects that they've been doing. And obviously a lot of man thing is CGI, right? But when you see him sitting on that log and there's a shot where he's turning to look at Jack and even the shot where he's out, I bet money that that's actually prosthetics, that that is an actual piece. It may not be his entire body, but I'm pretty sure maybe even just shoulders up is real. Cause you've got, if you've got in Lucasfilm, they're creating almost an entire rancor. Uh, they can do man thing, but in that vein, if they are going to the trouble of creating this prosthetic creature like that, 
he's coming back. They're not going to waste their time on something like that. They would have just made him CGI if he's not going to return. And clearly by the end of it, we know he's going to be returning. He's been on multiple teams. He's been on the Thunderbolts. Maybe he shows up there. Um, he's been with the Avengers as he was in this Curse of the Man thing. Um, but he's also probably could be in Midnight Suns. He could be in some sort of Blade situation. I have no idea. Um, uh, and then, yes, Brian, you're absolutely right. Carrie Jones, who did Black Kersantan, in uh, uh, Book of Boba Fett, he did the man thing as well within nine months of each other. What a stud. Absolutely. Hopefully he's got a bright future playing the man thing going forward. Because um, like I said, there's some really cool man thing stories out there. But my favorite moments with him, again, I haven't, do I haven't dove too deep into this omnibus. I'm really pumped to do so. But I just love when he interacts with other people because it's always like, you know, we're, we got to keep our distance a little bit. Like, let's do whatever we can to appease Ted, because uh, if not, like, all he's got to do is grab you, and then you're going to die. <laughs> uh, so that part was great. Um, and then let's move on to our third character, Elsa Bloodstone. Guys, um, the show hadn't even come out yet, and I bought the Funko Pop of Elsa Bloodstone from uh, Walgreens. Uh, I love Elsa Bloodstone as well. I just, again, I, I'm I've always been obsessed with monsters. And so any character that we could get that is fighting monsters, working with monsters, I'm game for. And so I always had an affinity for Elsa, uh, but it really hit during, um, there was a, a Battle World um, trade paperback that I read last week uh, that I had read, but this was back during Secret Wars where she is in, uh, it's actually a really cool story. It's only four issues. You can find it on Marvel Unlimited. It's called um, Zomb Battle World Zombies. Um, and so it's her versus just hordes of zombies uh, but she's got a kid with her that she has to take care of. And at the same time, there's some mysteries involved in it. I won't spoil it if any of you are wanting to read it, but it really dives into her daddy issues, which she certainly has. Uh, and clearly she shows that in the show as well. But we get a really deep dive of it in that story, obviously in other stories too. Um, but she played, Laura Donnelly played her perfectly. I thought it was great. The only gripe or the little complaint that I would have, couldn't tell for sure if it was orange hair that she had. Uh, when it turned color, really hope that she does have orange hair. If not, I'm not going to complain about it, but I just did. So there's, uh, <laughs> there's your circle of logic for you. Beyond that, I thought everything was perfect. She was sassy. She was rude and mean, drags that chair across the floor, which was just absolutely annoying, but she's super clever too. So she remembers everything about her aunt Francis, um, to, uh, escape from that tomb, which I thought was awesome. And boy, was she a good fighter too. So let's talk about that. The blood and gore in this was insane um completely insane we got so much blood uh, and you don't get to see a lot of it because it's in black and white uh so that would be really cool to see brian says could we see her animated debut in marvel zombies oh i would be shocked if she wasn't i feel like we saw that uh i don't have the photos here but did weren't there some still shots from zombies that maybe she was in it maybe not but yeah would make total sense if she was in that one as well um, so yeah, overall, again, where does it leave us? Uh, we're, we're in a very unique spot right now. So Elsa has the bloodstone. She's got it. Uh, what's she going to do with it? I think she's going to embrace her destiny and become a monster hunter in the comics. That's what she was. She never wasn't a monster hunter. So the fact that she kind of left and now she's coming back is going to be a really interesting story to tell going forward of dealing with that generational trauma. I mean, I got to tell you guys, when you talk about terrible fathers, Ulysses Bloodstone is up there. He's he's a worse father than um, uh, Wenwu. So just to put that in perspective, I mean, he was absolutely terrible 
to her to the point of being abusive most of the time to her. So she's got a lot to deal with, a lot to kind of break down and work through while busting heads and knocking skulls of monsters. Uh, same thing with Jack and man thing. Where are they going next? I have no idea whether we get a buddy team up movie, which I would love to see. It's probably not going to happen, but where would they show up? Maybe they'll show up in this blade movie. Uh, maybe one of these untitled movies is some sort of midnight suns or horror continuation. Kevin Feige alluded as much that this movie is uh, going to be uh, big or that this movie is setting up the scary stuff is setting up a lot going forward for the future. So there is a lot that was revealed in this that again, it may on the surface seem like not a lot happened in this, but really a ton of stuff did. And this is one of those things that we're going to be looking back on and say, wow, this thing set up so much. So Give me more of it or don't. I don't care. We've gotten what we've got. It exists, this beautiful piece of cinema. Um, some might call it content. You wouldn't be wrong to call it that either. So um, that is Werewolf by Night. And with that said, um, and yeah, here, another great comment. Midnight Suns would be awesome, but probably not the 90s version. Um, you're absolutely right on that. Uh, in the comics, they're actually coming out with a new Midnight Suns spelled S-U-N. Uh, to be more inclusive, there's some female characters in there. I would not be surprised if they did that. Um, again, they could just call it Suns too. I mean, women could still be in there if they wanted. Um, but I, I think some sort of Midnight Suns that's a little more maybe progressive than it was in the 90s. But you could easily have a lineup of Man-Thing, Werewolf, Elsa. Um, man, Magic is in the Midnight Suns. And she, God, she was the other Funko Pop that I got from them. Um, but Blade, Moon Knight, I think I mentioned that. Uh, and there's probably a few black Knight as well, maybe. So again, possibilities are endless on this. Um, Brian says, uh, Zoltar vibes <clears throat> from a Ulysses. Absolutely. Um, yeah, super creepy. So, uh, in honor of that and part of spooky season, I've got all my ratings out. I've been watching a ton of spooky movies. And so I kind of wanted to give you, we've got 15 minutes left. I'm gonna do a lightning round of all of these movies. Um, and, and kind of starting from the beginning, like I said, Dr. Terrors, that's a great one. I don't know where you can find it, but watched Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the 1978, absolute classic. That's one of those ones that we watch every year. Love that movie. Um, there's a really wild scene with uh, the girl who she's doing this eye thing with her eyes that I just I, I can't follow. But um, great movie, very, uh, very ahead of its time. I, you know, it was a remake. Uh, but then we watched uh, two interesting films. I, My brother and I have this Hammer Horror Collection that uh, is all these old British films from uh, mid-60s, early 50s. Uh, there's some black and white. There's some in color. And uh, we've got – thanks for joining us, Brian. See ya. Um, Brian's jumping out. But uh, watching these with my brother. So one of them is called The Snorkel. And the, the context of this was insane. It's the ultimate gaslighting movie. Uh, it's in black and white. It's from 1958. Um, but it says, here's the, although the police have termed her mother's death a suicide, a teenage girl believes that her stepfather murdered her. And we see in the opening of this movie, the stepfather is doing that. And no one can figure it out. Well, how? How, how could he have snuck in? And, so, you know, he, he was never there, yada, yada, yada. And so the trick is basically what he does in the room is he opens all of the can there the lights in the room are all gas powered. And so he opens all of them. So it's gas. He's drugged her. So she's asleep and he puts on a snorkel that's attached to an oxygen tank and then hides in the floor. It's a wooden floor. And I just thought that was the coolest concept ever. Like my mind was racing at, wow, this movie is ripe for a remake, ripe for a reboot, you know, in modern day, 
of just somebody hiding in the in the floorboards wearing a snorkel. Like I said, so intense. She knows from the get-go that he did it, but no one believes her because she's a little kid. Uh, wild movie. Really fun. Saw another one that was a little weirder called Maniac. Um, I'm not even going to go into that, but it was basically about a guy who... There's like a love triangle. It felt like a kind of a French movie. They're actually in France in the movie. Um, I, I wouldn't give it any more time than that. We uh, we watched This Is The End. Technically not a Halloween movie, but it is a spooky movie, right? There's an apocalypse in that. Um, great movie. Had a lot of fun there. But a big one, and I put it on the title card of this. We watched The Black Phone. Uh, oh, man. My, uh, my wife, Lisa... Uh, God bless her. She said, okay, I want to watch a scary movie, but she gave some criteria. She was like, here's what I want to watch. She said, I want it to be something kind of current that I haven't seen, maybe sort of like a slasher, but something that could happen in real life. And I was like, ooh, I think the black phone's perfect. I signed up for a Peacock subscription, uh, which I'm very glad I did, guys. There are so many scary movies on Peacock. Uh, if you're a scary movie fan, check it out. Some highlights that I saw in there, they got all the Saw movies. They've got the Love Witch, which I want to rewatch. Black Phone's on there. Uh, man, there's a couple of others that I'll, I'll show you as we get to it. But literally any scary movie you can think of, I feel like, is on there. Black Phone was incredible. Uh, gave that a 9 out of 10. It's a generous 9. I, I was debating between an 8 or a 9, but I absolutely loved it. Scott Derrickson's back. See Robert Cargill as well. Um, based on a story by Joe Hill, who's been doing a ton of horror comics. Um, or I guess they're adapt maybe adapting his stories at DC. Um, so you know you're in good hands when you're in this. This movie was really scary um, because it felt like it could happen in real life. Um, all about abductions. And I won't spoil. I mean, there's really nothing to spoil in this besides the uh, acting. That's why I gave it a nine instead of an eight. The kid actors in here were absolutely phenomenal. So good. Especially the young girl who plays the sister. Her name is Madeline McGraw. And those of you may know her uh, from Ant-Man and the Wasp. She plays the young, uh, she plays a young Hope, not a young, um, I don't remember what her name, the, the, her, not, not Paul Rudd's daughter, but basically Evangeline's character who's hiding in the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe in the beginning. That's her character. She just blew me away. Absolutely insane. So was Mason Thames as uh, Finney, the main kid. I want to see more of these people. And I also want to see more of Ethan Hawke because we got to see a lot of them in a mask. And uh, I wanted to see more of them without that mask. But wow, whole premise is that um, both of those kids are very, very sensitive. Cassie, yes. Late Night Alone called out Cassie. Yes, thank you. Um, they're both very sensitive kids to where they have dreams that are more like visions. Uh, the daughter does. And she gets in trouble for that. There's actually a very most terrifying scene in the movie, actually, is when her dad is um, basically abusing her because of that, because it's getting her into trouble. It isn't really, it's a classic story, but Finn as well um, has some special ability too, which is that all of the other kids that have been kind of abducted by this guy talk to him through this phone where he's locked up and, uh, and the phone doesn't go anywhere. So it's like, they're basically ghosts, um, which again, there's really no spoilers in this. The only question is, does he get out or not, which you got to check it out to see. Uh, but I was I was tense the entire time. I was at the edge of my seat. Highly recommend The Black Phone. And it makes sense why it did so well. It did really well at the box office. Horror is one of those uh, genres that will always thrive at the box office because people love being scared. Uh, watched It Follows. Again, that one's available on Netflix. If you haven't seen that, check it out. Um, the premise of that is that there's this unknown force 
this unknown creature that essentially follows you. Uh, and it's following a person who had sex. And so the way that it is, is you can have the, this thing will stop following you if you pass it on to someone else. And so it's the themes in this are absolutely insane. But essentially, this guy has sex with the main character and uh, or the main character, this girl, and then tells her like, hey, here's what I just did. You need to pass this on to someone else. Otherwise, you're going to die. And holy cow, I'd watched it a long time ago and wasn't really paying attention, but full focus on this one. Awesome movie. Really good. Um, and the, the creature thing is just absolutely terrifying. Uh, but then also from the title card uh, on Peacock, The Wolfman from 1941. This is the Lon Chaney Jr. And Claude Rains is in it as well. Um, directed by George Wagner. I had not seen this one in a while. I have Blu-rays for most of the Universal Monster movies. The only one I don't have is Wolfman. Uh, and so I was actually contemplating buying it on this Amazon sale, but I was like, hey, I can hold off a little longer now since I just watched it on Peacock. And it was great. It was awesome. You can easily see some of the things that were pulled from this into Werewolf by Night, including the way that Werewolf by Night looks. Uh, is very similar to The Wolfman. But then there's also a lot of interesting themes that I think were just being touched on in this movie. And um, obviously due to its time period, right? It's 1940s. Um, but there's a, there's a very religious theme in here about the differences between kind of like Christianity and what I, I guess would just say this gypsy group, uh, which there's also a lot of, uh, you know, gypsy jokes in here that just, you know, may not sit well the same same way they did. Maybe back in the 40s, a lot of discrimination in the film, uh, just from you know calling these people crazy and yada, 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 uh, blaming them for the ills of the community when there is clearly a scene at the very beginning, a blink and you miss it, that they came to town at the exact same time that Lon Chaney and his crew came into town. So um, just very interesting, but again, um, same tale, tale as old as time, right, of a guy who transforms into a wolf. And uh, I will say, Werewolf by Night did it better, was scarier. Uh, but back in the day, this movie was amazing. Again, it's a classic, 8 out of 10. Loved it. Not one of my favorite Universal Monsters, but still pretty cool. Uh, all, always going to love that. On the topic of beasts uh, and different uh, beasts in movies, I also caught on Peacock Beast, which uh, is, I think, possibly still in theaters in some spots, but was a very... Um, yeah, I don't know if it was low budget, but it's very short movies, only an hour and a half. Idris Ilba is in it, directed by Balthazar Kormakur, um, with uh, also a couple of great performances by his daughters, which I believe are, I'm just looking on here, but Layabua Gongo and probably Thapilo Sibogodi. Uh, Martin Manuro is in this as well. Daniel Hadibi and also uh, the guy from... Uh, District 9 is in it. I always forget his name, but um, he's always great. Uh, wasn't that great of a movie. Uh, would I recommend it to watch? If you like getting spooked by creature features like this, maybe check it out. Um, if, you're, if you've already got a Peacock subscription, check it out, right? It's a new movie for this year. Let's support some of these new films. But as a movie, it was it was okay. I mean, if I'm thinking of scary uh, thrillers like this, my mind immediately even with this movie like when i saw the trailers i was like "Ooh, this is like crawl right the alligator one uh crawl was so much better i was way more tense way more scared this one wasn't as scary 
Uh, but you get the really nice theme of Idris Ilba as kind of the distant father, and he's reconnecting with his daughters on this terrible trip that goes wrong. And we've got a psycho lion that we have to deal with, which the lion certainly was terrifying. <laughs> but at some point it was like, yeah, but just, you know, you could leave. Like, you just turn the car around and get out of here. Uh, I do think the car maybe gets wrecked at one point. But like I said, nothing to write home about, but I did want to share it, that it's out there. You can watch it. Um, what else did we watch that was pretty scary? Oh, yes. Okay, so we've got just a few more here. So Halloween, right? The classic Jamie Lee Curtis, the original. I'm getting pumped for Halloween ends. I think I'm the only one getting pumped around here for Halloween ends, at least just with my family. I mean, I'm going to be checking that out on Thursday. We'll have an episode about that. Uh, next week, that will be what the episode I think is going to be about. One way or another, I'll have it recorded and put out. Um, but pumped, Halloween's always a classic. Um, absolutely love that movie. Uh, but then the interesting one that we watched last night was called The Rental, which uh, I believe we watched that on Netflix. So it's available on Netflix. It is directed by Dave Franco, uh, James Franco's younger brother from the 21 Jump Street movies, and just recently in Daywatch. Uh let keep an eye out on this guy. I was beyond impressed with just the quality of this film. This was your classic horror seven is what I would call it. It was a good movie. Nothing really made it go. Oh my God, this movie is amazing. But at the same time, I can't deny that it was very, very well directed, but not only that we get Jeremy Allen white in it from the bear from shameless. I'm going to make sure that that's who it was. Right. And then we also get Dan Stevens, who uh, I believe is from uh, Legion, if I'm remembering right, but he was in Beauty and he was Beast in Beauty and the Beast. He's been Downton Abbey. Uh, no way, he's in Godzilla versus Kong too. That uh, that bumps his ratings up for me just a little bit. Uh, but then we also get Allison Brie and Sheila Van, um, and this and Toby Huss, who's from the the new Halloween movie, the first one of the trilogy. Uh, and this is just a all around psychotic movie. Uh, I thought I thought the beast was going to be stressful. This movie was way more stressful. So it is about a two couples, uh, and the men in the couples are brothers. So they the guy is married to. This is actually was made it really creepy and weird at the same time. Dan Stevens' character is married to Allison Brie. Dan Stevens is the brother of Jeremy Allen White, who is dating. Uh, her name's Mina in the in the movie. Mina is the co-worker and like close partner of Dan Stevens character. So there's some love triangle stuff going on in there that is very apparent from the very beginning. But the whole point is they get this rent, this Airbnb uh, that they go to rent to get a, have a getaway for the weekend or, you know, it kind of wasn't clear as to why they kept saying like, this is going to be big and, uh, and never really found out what that big thing was that they were talking about. But some strange stuff starts happening. We start seeing some shadows uh, and the big thing, I won't, actually won't reveal it. It's on Netflix. Watch it. It's super short. It's only an hour and 28 minutes. But essentially, not everything is as it seems at this rental property. There's a very creepy landlord man who um, doesn't seem to understand some of the stuff that's going on, which makes it all the more interesting when the twists start occurring towards the end. But all I got to say is Jeremy Allen White, if you've seen him in Shameless or The Bear, he does a really good job at acting stressed out, right? At getting angry and getting upset. And all I got to say is this movie should have been called Murphy's Law because everything that could go wrong in this situation happens. And poor guy, it all happens to him. Uh, obviously, things happen to other people. But when you're talking about like, oh, 
oh, you know, this thing, I, I won't spoil it, but just to say like, oh, this thing disappeared. Well, that thing happened to, you know, he, he loved it. So now he's stressed out trying to find it. Uh, and on top of that, another thing happens to him that he is not, all the things that happened to him are not his fault and he doesn't realize it. And he's screaming and he's so mad and frustrated and you're just, ah, oh, amazing performance. Dave, again, Dave Franco, I feel like pulled off something really cool here. I'm excited to see if he does more stuff going forward uh, because I was, I was enthralled. This is, it was a perfect spooky season movie. Um, but yeah, so that's, though, those are the films that we saw and man, I pulled it off. We're right here at an hour, um, which is awesome for this. Obviously, sometimes we go a little bit longer, but I certainly don't want to babble on about all of the movies that, um, we, I've seen and I, I have not seen Babylon. So, um, that's another one, you know, add that to the list. But, uh, like I said, next week, the hope is going to be that we'll be talking about Halloween ends, uh, the final film in this new Halloween trilogy, uh, probably have an episode out at some point. I don't think I might not be for the live stream. Might just do it as a separate recording for She-Hulk. Uh, the last episode of She-Hulk comes out this week. Very excited to see how they wrap that show up. And uh, and then we'll reveal some more as it comes along. Probably going to have another spooky season episode as we watch more scary movies. So for those of you that have been tuning in, thank you so much for checking out the show. Again, you can find us here on YouTube at the Nerd Life Network, a part of a bunch of other really great shows, giving you that content that you need uh, in the veins. Uh, you've got uh, Earth's Mightiest Weirdos, Nerdy Girls After Dark, Agents of Field, uh, Comics and Cinema as well. And from there, um, my show as well, you can find as a podcast. So if you can't tune in at this time, that is totally fine. I put these out on my podcast every night after the show every Tuesday night. We'll also have bonus episodes. And again, if you're a fan of anything movies, anything comics, um, check it out. We're about to hit 250 issue, uh, issues. I like calling it issues, but episodes. The last thing that I will say, because uh, I, I wanted to call it out, I kept calling it out the last few weeks, is if you guys have a Marvel Unlimited subscription, you need to check out the Infinity comic called Test Kitchen. Uh, it is about a girl named Anna Amayama who uh, is a cook that gets recruited by Tony Stark to cook things. And each these Infinity comics are scroll comics, so you're scrolling them as you read. Each issue is super short. It's like some classic, you know, uh, here's what happens. The gist of it, though, is that she cooks some amazing dish, and then you get to see the entire recipe, how to cook these dishes. And they're absolutely just tantalizing and mouthwatering. And they go, she goes, or whoever's writing it goes into detail when they're doing this. It's just, it's really cool. So if you're looking for a fun little comic to read, um, check that out. Thank you guys all so much for listening. Uh, for Comics and Cinema, I'm your host, Alex Klein, and we will see you at the movies. <laughs>